sitting here with Tim Collingwood, uh, who is an activist, artist, all around awesome friend. How would you introduce yourself, Tim? Um, I would probably introduce myself as a very busy person who's amazed at how busy he actually is. <laughs> yeah, you're one of, I met you, what, it's got to be now going on four or five years ago. A uh, friend of ours in nearby had little um, salons, basically like an open mic in their mm -hmm. house. Mm -hmm. And everybody come over and share poetry. And, and I think I, I shared a song I did. And that's that's where I met you. Mm -hmm. And um, then found out like, oh, you, you know, like everybody I know, you, you know, like half the uh, half the actors I know from the theater scene here in Cleveland. And then I was just surprised to see you all over the place when it comes to activism in Cleveland. Yeah, I, I, I do. I, I, I do get around. Um, I'm a little bit better at being I mean, it's funny how it took a pandemic for me to like back away from stuff because of like personal maintenance but like yeah i just I, I i kind of view i'm at that point now where i kind of view my artistry and my activism as the same thing they're both creative expressions of uh, of um bridging and building dialogue so like i i mean i think the, the 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 mode of expression is different but i do feel like the creativity is still there and um, it took me a while for me to like compromise black to figure that out basically because it just seems like two different things but they're actually so related right now so yeah <laughs> and then you you want to tell me where do you fall on the neurodiversity paradigm too because that's something I wanted to talk to you about um, specifically um, I think you did too yeah yeah well I mean I do uh Medically speaking, I do have Asperger's syndrome. Is um, that what it's still called? I well, I heard it's that it kind of been umbrellaed into autism, and um, I mean, I, I I don't use I, I I just say nowadays that I'm on the spectrum because Hans Asperger was a eugenist and a Nazi. And I oh my God, I didn't know that. I used to. I don't know if you saw I, when I spoke with uh, my friend psychologist Joel Schwartz mm -hmm. and talked about Asperger's. I used to do a comedy bit about it because I hated that they named it after the guy with the weird name and then the kid that's acting weird in school. The other kids hear the weird yeah. name of the thing they have and it just makes it worse. It's like, it's not about you, Johan. And then, yeah. holy crap, I had no idea he had that kind of problematic shit in his past. Yeah, well, and it's interesting too because it like eventually, because I think the the diagnosis itself is only one year older than me because someone found his old research thing, research from the thirties and forties and said, Oh, well, we noticed this too. And we don't have a name for it. And like, that's kind of how it happened. <laughs> so, I mean, and oddly enough that, 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 that discovery was, was um, the same year as the Americans with disabilities act. And, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> like I'm, I'm just one year younger than where things are like institutionally when it comes to disability rights. So like, I don't, yeah, it's been, it's been very, um, it's been very interesting <laughs> living amid all that. So, yeah. So how did you find out about your diagnosis was if it's and if it's a traumatic story you don't have to recount it but yeah. i'm curious what like, you know if you're you have a condition like that um or i don't know if condition is the right word but i use condition. you know yeah if finding yeah. out that has to be um somewhat of a, of a relief at some point if you're just like oh there's a name for the thing that i seem to be struggling with yeah i mean uh, I was diagnosed in fifth grade. I was already having um, struggles with like motor skills and body language understanding. Um, I mean, if I could be kinder to myself as a kid though, I could say, well, every child develops motor skills their own way. And every child, um, you know, has problems understanding body language. Just not everyone is named, has a name for that. Um, I don't know if I felt relief 
I mean, my, my parents were constantly reading about um, what it was and they were sharing what they were knowing with me. And, you know, I can recognize the good intention behind that, but I also like felt like, okay, but no one was asking me how I felt about it, you know, <laughs> cause I'm the one living it and you're the one learning about it. And like, it, it, it made for a very interesting, um, preteen and teenage experience for everyone involved, you know? So like, I don't want to say it was traumatic, you know, it's just like, I don't know. I, I, I felt like people were treating me differently after the diagnosis and I didn't really know how to deal with that, particularly at like nine, 10, like, does any nine or 10 year old know how to deal with a life changing diagnosis? That's like, or anything or well, anything, <laughs> but it's like the way society views any disability, it's like getting a diagnosis for cancer, but yet people still are able to live and function as they are with it. So like, I mean, I, I kind of have to wonder like, where's the the focus you know is the focus on the person living it or the focus on the person who's taught to deal with it in humane to inhumane ways and i kind of think it's more of the the former than the latter so yeah <laughs> and what are what are the um markers that make up asperger's which my understanding of it a more accurate like label for it would be social dyslexia is that accurate um, I mean, I, I, I don't know, like from my experience, it, it felt like it was more, um, I mean, the way it was described to me is that someone who can't read body language enough to can't read body language well enough to understand cues, um, is very, is a very passionate person who can't shut up about their passions and uh and just you know motor motor skill um difficulty development um i mean i think i think social social dyslexia is a good way to describe it but i i feel like it it like it manifests differently on every everyone and i feel like there's always a problem with just saying, oh, you're this diagnosis and here's everything around this diagnosis that you are. But if, but like, but what if you aren't all of that, you know? Like, yeah, like, <laughs> it's like, okay, well, if, if, if I, if you think I'm this, like, what can I do to not show that you that I am that, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, and do you did you go through a similar process? I know I went through with um, my ADD diagnosis. Like you were saying, when you're young, people tell you this is this is what's what you are, and you take this pill, and then you will not be that thing anymore. And went down a road of like, well, how do I change myself in order to make society more comfortable? And then eventually started to recognize like, no, the way my brain works is fine. I just need to make sure I'm in the right context and if i'm around people who don't like the way my brain works then i should probably just find a way to not be around those people yeah i mean i uh i guess what i i guess well I, i'd probably say undergraduate college years was when that took place for me um i had a fallout with a roommate and basically he said that you know something about oh well you're your parents think you're weird and and that just like broke me to the point where I almost almost didn't go back to Cleveland State you know <laughs> so I was thinking to myself I like I did go back but I was like I need to deal with this because how I'm dealing with it isn't helping and I started going to counseling there at Cleveland state and um i didn't have to pay extra for it because it was a part of my tuition um and uh you know it, i actually had a therapist who didn't know what osberger's was and i thought that was so helpful 
actually, because there were no prejudgments or prejudices. Ah. Um, I could pretty much educate my therapist on what not only Osberger's is, but how the social definitions bother the hell out of me in inner, 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 in personal interactions. So, and needless to say, even in like, even uh, though it's been years since I've had therapy and years since I've, um, you know, had a, had a dire need for it, I still remember my therapist's advice, you know, and the, I think the, like what I'm kind of going through right now is like, you know, she, she told me, well, Tim, you're just gonna uh, just go through your string of feelings and you know when you'll stop. So just let yourself feel all of what you're feeling and then you're not gonna do anything bad to yourself with it, but eventually the roller coaster ride ends. So I've just been operating off of that for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, and again, this was from someone who didn't know what it was and therefore like, it, it was really interesting to have that because that gave me agency over, over um, a part of myself that in previous years I had trouble owning and hiding and passing because like, I, I, I didn't wanna be Tim, the guy with Osbergers. I wanted to be Tim, the guy with who's this, 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 this. The totality you know? of Tim. Yeah, the total. <laughs> that sounds so wrong considering <laughs> what, what we're going through right now as a country. But like, <laughs> but like, yeah, like see me for all my dimensions, not just that. I mean, for God's mm-hmm. sakes, I came out of the closet before I came out of the other closet I was in. So <laughs> wow. You know, because to me, it's feeling like, oh, well, if I could come out as bisexual, that's more acceptable than being an Aspie. So, like, it it was very interesting within a span of, like, four years what that ownership looked like. So, yeah. (laughs) Now, do you... Do you ever... um... Do you have a sort of a standard way of when you meet someone new, letting them know like, hey, I'm, I'm different in this way? I think when I when I met you, eventually, I think I saw that you posted that, you know, you, you have Asperger's. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, you know, as as someone who when I first met you, I noticed things that were neat, unique about you. It's like, oh, Tim, Tim and I hit it off at this thing. And now Tim likes me. <laughs> <laughs> Tim likes every post and, and, and just seemed like, Hey, like you were saying, like, Oh, when I'm passionate about something, I'm there for it. Mm-hmm. And I think that would be, you know, that's a little cue that I, I pick up on like, Oh, that, you know, Tim, Tim's a little different than, than other friends that I, I meet the first time. It's like, he's all in on friendship. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's, it, I think what bothers me most about whenever people share their prejudices about autism or Asperger's is that, you know, we're just socially awkward people who can't communicate, can't connect with people. So like overcompensation as it was, that kind of made me feel like, okay, I need to be as social as I can be. So like when we met, you know, it was just like, oh, I was thinking the exact same thing. Oh, he actually likes me and I need to like show friendship in all the way, shape or form because mentally, in my in my inner dialogue was like oh i i mean i i want to like i want to keep this one and i want to make sure that i'm not destroying anything you know because of my you know my my condition you know so i mean i'm trying to move past that with my friendships but Mm -hmm. like you know i i feel like i just go all in because i i don't want to be seen for my limitation as much as i want to be seen for what i can do like I'm of the mindset now where, you know, like um, I embrace my own neurodivergence and I see it as a positive thing and not a negative thing. And it didn't like, I I, want to say like, well, I'm not disabled. Society is disabled. I just happen to feel like I have a different way of seeing things, but at the same time, so does the next person next to me. <laughs> so why should I um, 
Why, why should I be made to feel different because someone sees this difference as a bad thing? So, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, down the line, I eventually came up with um, describing myself as a body positive, sex positive, ability positive person because everyone has abilities and and everyone and everyone has potential to do things with that ability but you know because you know the status of abilities are created in hierarchies of whose abilities are more valuable and productive than others you know like i don't like to use the term disabled as much although i am trying to embrace that a bit more I've been using ability status, you know, my ability status is not recognized as of, of, uh, of, of value to society at large. So like it, it, it's kind of pointing out that yes, I have abilities, but the status of them are not seen as valuable. So like, I, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I don't know, like piecing the other ability, positive language and thinking about, you know, if I were to do an ableism one-on-one course, how much should I charge? You know, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but yeah, um, I, I do try to use ability positive language as, as my understanding is of it. And, you know, but like everyone else who's in an, an oppressed or repressed group, like I, 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 <laughs> I also can't teach everyone every day how to be a human being to me. You know, so yeah. <laughs> so, where did um, activism first start taking its roots in you? What issues animated you um, to step up and start and and start doing uh, being so involved on on boot as one of the boots on the ground, so to speak? Um, well, I, I've always admired activists like growing up, um, I, I mean, not that I, not that I was actually on the ground for things, but like, you know, I, I, I was very pissed at George W. Bush for the Iraq war. And I, uh, after in college, I was learning more about other people's experiences that aren't my own. And, uh, but I want to say the the uh, inciting incident of my on the ground activism was Tamir Rice's murder in 2014. I've been learning a, a lot more about you know the black perspective in the United States from a um, a Facebook group I belonged to, which was an offshoot of the Coffee Party, um, and they and they had this group called Americans for Racial Equality and Economic Justice, and I joined that group. And I forget her name, but I learned, I, I was learning a lot about police violence and its frequency in, in the black community from that particular person. And um, it stayed in me, like, she, like this person would challenge me to think beyond my white comfort. And, and I would have like, of course, respond <laughs> in white comfort, but at the same time, it, it kind of stuck in my head. And when Tamir Rice was murdered, I'm just thinking, this is happening in my backyard. I need to do something about this. So that's kind of where it started. And I think to this day, it still informs my activist work um, because like, no, no one should have their death justified because people are afraid of one skin color. <laughs> you know, a child is a child, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah. And, how uh, do you have a core? So is racial justice a core focus for you with activism or do you kind of um, spread yourself around a lot of different issues? Um, well, I think that's, I mean, racial justice is the reason why I got on the ground, but like I've, I, I've, I do identify as a feminist. I, I do, I, I am, a, I do identify as an environmentalist. Um, I do believe in like, a, a minimum wage that that equals gross national product and not like um, and not you know what it has been for the past 37 years um, like I mean I, I spread myself around a lot I mean I have my most of my inbox are petitions you know if I can't if I can't show up I sign a petition you know 
Um, but yeah, like it, it's, I, I, I do spread myself out a lot, but I also am a little bit more conscious of when I'm spreading myself thin. <laughs> so like, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think to a degree, like my ability status informs my activism because I think through feminism, I've learned to advocate for myself. I couldn't, I couldn't exactly advocate for myself well, even though like my parents encouraged me to be my own advocate. I, I, I didn't feel comfortable advocating for something that like I felt ashamed of, but I didn't feel ashamed of, you know, knowing female identifying people in my life and wanting to raise up their, their, um, their fight and for, for equity. Um, I had no problems raising up LGBTQIA plus because, you know, um, you know, that, that too was like, oh, well, but this is a human being. Why, can't, why am I the only one seeing that this is a human being? So, you know, I mean, I'm not the only one thinking that now, but like, you know, so, I mean, I, I, I just defended other causes, but I wasn't like defending myself, you know? And I think that's kind of where, and that's kind of where like the, the, the latter day self-activism and advocacy came, came out um, when I was in college and after college, because I was, it finally connected the dots that, oh, well, I need to, advocate for myself in the way I advocate for others and, you know, <laughs> and take care of myself in the way I take care of others. So like, yeah, <laughs> kind of where things are. Yeah. yeah. Do you have uh, any particular action you've participated in that you would look back and say that was one of the most effective ones or even least effective? Um. I would probably say when I demonstrated in the city of Euclid for Luke Stewart's family to be heard by the city of Euclid. Um, oh, were I, you at that big city hall protest? Mm -hmm. I got I have looked over that footage so many times. I probably saw you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I when seeing the recent uh, story and scene, I was like, there I am <laughs> in the photo. But like, I, yeah, I was, I was with an activist organization at the time that, um, uh, that I don't want to name, but like, I do want that. Uh, I was thinking, yes, we're finally confronting our own discomfort around demonstrations. And we're finally doing something that is actually moving people and like, there were a lot of um, activist groups there that showed up and turned out and, and like, I actually left before the last intimidating riot police were like there, oh, but yeah. at the same time, I was just thinking to myself, like I was calling peers and saying, well, you know, we have to post bail, you know, <laughs> cause there's a high chance that our, peers back there are going to be arrested how are we going to do that and um so because i mean i didn't want to i didn't want to leave that demonstration without knowing that everyone else got back okay you know <laughs> so um but yeah like i would probably say that's the most effective uh demonstration i've been to um i don't i don't know if i've well I don't know if I can say that there's been a, a least effective because I think if you're if you're out in public for something and people notice, that's that's a that's a small victory of effectiveness there. So, yeah, you know, and with and with COVID, if you're still demonstrating with a face mask on, that's really effective for your message. Yeah. So, so yeah. Have uh, you found that your ability status is? Uh a help or a hindrance when it comes to the sort of things you participate in? Do you have to overcome any mental hurdles or do you find you have an easier time with things other people might not? Um, I mean, I, 
I, I don't, well, I mean, I don't know. I believe in collective liberation and I guess based on who I'm working with, um, I do want to make sure that they're applying or at least giving room to apply ableism to their definition of collective liber liberation because, you know, when, when, one, when one group of people is, is dignified, everyone else is dignified too. So if you're saying that you're, if, if your organization believes in collective liberation, but yet there's like ableism in the, in the inner workings that is unaccounted for, I don't trust that organization to, to be accountable when it refuses accountability when it's being called out, you know? Um, I mean, I, I don't feel comfortable, like, and it's not, it's not just my comfort too, you know, but like, I, without some form of intersectional analysis that includes ableism, like, I, I don't feel like I can feel safe in activist organizations. Um, and like, like, I don't know, it, it's, it's such a turnoff when, when uh, people just aren't listening to each other, you know, and I know I'm not perfect myself, but like one of the, the, able, the ableism I feel like I most experience somewhat on the daily is people intentionally not listening and intentionally misunderstanding. And I, I, I don't, I have a very, um, let's say traumatic response to that. <laughs> and uh, some of that is my own personal work, but it's also like, I mean, I don't know if, if you give someone homework and it's a, it's a partner project, you know, do your homework together and not just give it all to one person. Uh, to do. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's, it's amazing just how like, it's amazing how much ableism is is in uh, you know in is it is in activism unintentionally, you know. Is that uh, just indicative of the fact that it pervades so much of society, and so it's just? Yeah. Well, I mean, I this like I I tend to believe that society isn't this like googly like. Cthulhu like cloud above, above everyone like society is you and me it yeah. is the people around us it is literally happening in conversation all the time you know we're social beings so you know society is what we collectively agree upon if we collectively agree upon the idea that you know people with different ability statuses aren't aren't viewed as productive people because that status supposedly limits them <laughs> like that to me is that to me defines a disabled society you know so like um yeah <laughs> sorry uh <laughs> so yeah I, I hope that answers your question <laughs> i forget where i was going with that but like yeah well you were saying um you know you you deal with ableism within activist circles um well i have and I, I agree with you that yeah what society is this living thing it's not floating above us in the ether um mm -hmm. but i think my point was just that since it is so pervasive throughout a lot of places is it just transposing into activism versus oh it's a uniquely worse realm for ableism in activism i well i feel like I mean, everyone is, you can be, you could be a white anti-racist and still show whiteness in your activist work that a black, brown or indigenous person might point out to you. How you respond to that call out is entirely on you, not on them, you know? <laughs> so I want to say the same thing applies, or at least applies similarly to call outs for ableism because, you know, people who are who have ability statuses know how to point out behaviors it's just that because of the way they point them out you know they're not heard they're not seen like 
I, I, I've, I've literally been to houses of people with children with ability statuses and just seen like an angry hurt hurting moment from the kid and the, the parents literally dismiss it as, oh, well, he has this or she has this. And it's just like, well, no, they're feeling something, but you're just excusing their condition as not to treat those feelings, you mm-hmm. know? And like, and as a formerly disabled child myself, like notice, tend, like, you know, if someone's hurting and you're not recognizing that, you know, I'm not trying to say that all parents of disabled children are, you know, are monsters for not tending to their children. I'm just saying that, you know, that, that little microaggression says, communicates everything to the child who just wants to have their pain soothed, you know? And yeah. I get the, and parenting's hard no matter what your children are. So like, uh, you know, it, 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 but it's really interesting um, interactions I've had with people where I've pointed out to them that your child might be feeling this way. And the response I get is, well, what do you mean? You're calling me a bad parent, all this other stuff. And I'm like, no, I'm not calling you a bad parent. I'm saying, I'm sensing anger and hurt from your child. And that's your child who wants relief, you know? And I mean, I guess you could call it caretaker fragility or something because like, you know, you're making your child, your child's hurt, not about the child, but your response to that child. Mm-hmm. And, and to be honest, the kid might pick up on the fact that, Oh, my mom, my mom or dad is too busy tending to themselves and not tending to me. And I think that's kind of where the self soothing comes in. Cause a lot of us self soothe, you know, we we teach ourselves to self soothe if we have the resources to. Um, or at least the room to. <laughs> so like, yeah, there's, um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I've lost a few friendships by pointing out <laughs> a hurting child to parents, you know? <laughs> um, but I mean, I don't like, yeah. <laughs> Probably you, thinks when I, when I feel free to tell me whenever you see me screwing up with my kids. Cause uh, <laughs> I'm I'm not going to take it personally. Well, I I mean, I haven't, I I mean, I've only been to your house like three times and I know I still like, I don't like, I I don't pull out. I don't pull that out unless I've, I don't pull that out without tact. (laughs) Let's put that way. That's good. That's good. You know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not like a, uh, I'm not the Brad of, of pointing out ableism in, 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 <laughs> in, in parents. Like it's not my job to do that, you know, and when I feel safe in the home to not to like, to feel comfortable noticing that, I mean, to be honest, I haven't noticed anything of that in your home. And I, f- I would feel very awkward because I don't want to put you or, or Deb on the spot, you know? So, well, I'm like, constantly, you know, w- watching to see like, okay, so uh, are my boys going to be navigating the world with the same brain model I had, which is, you know, been classified as ADD mm-hmm. um, and really attentive to not force them to, okay, you've got to change how your brain works so you can function. I mean, that's, Mm-hmm. big reason why we decided to homeschool it mm-hmm. it was more about just the fact that like i don't want him you know my kids having to be forced into the square peg mm-hmm. knowing that how much it failed me and either i was mocked or 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 belittled by teachers because i i wasn't learning the way they wanted me to learn mm-hmm. um and i i wanted to give my kids the opportunity to just bypass all of that stuff that I then had to correct out of my brain and, and purge all of the teachers, 
who gave me, you know, rolled eyes or, or frustrated looks because they, you know, I internalized their frustration to think, oh, I'm, I'm not that smart. I'm a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I like, I've learned, I, I took that up at 10, you know, and I was in fifth grade. I came back from a tutoring session on time and my fifth grade teacher publicly humiliated me in front of the entire classroom because she wanted us to take a class photo. Um, and I mean, she wanted to do that each, each month, you know, and I literally did not know how to respond to that at all, you know, cause I, like, I didn't know what to do. Um, cause I, I, I've, I had good relation ships with teachers like I was a good student and like I feel like my entire world was just pulled out from under me when that happened and all I could do was was smile just to hear from the teacher do you think this is funny and not respond and just move towards the desk when all of my classmates were taking off of my teacher's cue and hounding me and me just not really being in the room mentally because I did not know what to do, you know, and I didn't, and my parents, you know, they sacrificed so much for me to get an education they thought would work for me. Like my parents believe that every child deserves their own education that works for them. So, um, and, you know, I didn't like, and that's kind of where one of a few things where I noticed that, oh, this is what Osberger's is to the world. Something is wrong with me. And I need to not let people know that something's wrong with me. So I, I, I literally passed from the age of 12 to the age of 22. Hmm. And I didn't want to be myself. And that's kind of how I eventually kind of went into theater because I wanted to be someone else, you know, um, that's not why I continue to try to do theater today. I'm just yeah, saying yeah. like I needed, I, I found I needed confidence and who was co- who, who were confident people to me, actors. I needed strength and bravery who were people that <laughs> were that for me. Well, artists and activists. So I mean, I, I pretty much had a, and still do have a amazing in, a, uh, admiration for Jane Fonda. Like I was this close to meeting her, like this close to meeting her, but then COVID struck and ah. her, her speaking at Kent was canceled. And I was this, and I have a copy of her memoir and, I, and a DVD of Clute that if I had opportunity, I would just want her to autograph both. Like, but yeah, I don't, I'm hoping when COVID passes, she'll come back to Kent and I can meet up with a friend and go down with her. And even if I don't get autographs, I just want to let her know how like instrumental her life has been to mine. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, yeah. And again, you know, I just had passionate fixations on people. Um, you know, I, I, st- I mean, I love movies and movies made me want to act as well so like the f- the first movie that i saw that was like i think i can i would love to do this was funny girl um and uh yeah it just kind of went from there I, I think i've outside of last year and this year i've um i've never had a break i've been doing theater consistently since seventh grade <laughs> wow congrats that's yeah. i think that when did I start? When did I find the theater? It wasn't until high school. Mm-hmm. And it was just like a, a friend was like, hey, we should. Uh, he just like spontaneously went to audition for something. And we got we both got on crew for like guys and dolls. Mm-hmm. And I just loved it. because I was like, oh, I think because it's like that's where all the misfit kids <laughs> kind of found mm-hmm. each other. They yeah. were sick of getting shit from all the all the normies in, in school. So mm-hmm. it's. Theater was a great place for that. And then I found like speech and debate and those changed my life just in terms of like, I found something I liked in school. Mm -hmm. That's the number one thing with, you know, getting back to like why I'm homeschooling the kids. Part of it is Mm -hmm. making sure that they, they, we can give them the modality 
that is appropriate for them to succeed in mm -hmm. the, the way that they should learn. The other part is, you know, and everyone you mentioned homeschooling and, you know, when we were first think, looking into it too, everybody talks about like, well, what about socialization? How are you going to socialize them? Mm -hmm. Socialization in school is a fucking nightmare. Mm -hmm. and, and it's, and it's completely anomalous because like later on in life, you, I mean, not saying it doesn't ever happen that you get a job you can't get out of and you're surrounded by people you hate. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously that people get trapped like that, but I don't think it happens to the degree where in school as a child, where you're like, you're going to be in this place with, you know, the pie chart of everybody you're around, like this many people like you and this many people actively hate you and this many people are indifferent towards you. Yeah. And it's this minefield mm -hmm. that I don't know. It, it was so such a relief to get out of that. And I'm, I don't think I, and yeah. if I'm saying that as someone who doesn't have any real ability status issues besides mm -hmm. ADD, which is mostly a hindrance within, you know, I think less within people other than the fact that like, oh, I might interrupt <laughs> too much, mm -hmm. but it's more of a hindrance with institutional education. Yeah. I mean, I, I was always invited to my IEP meetings. I, at, when I was younger, um, I never felt comfortable doing that because to me that felt like walking into admitting something I didn't want to admit. IIP, IIP meetings? Yeah, individualized education plans. Oh, IE, oh IEP, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I did, I eventually went, I think my 18th year uh, in high school. Um, like I had tutoring, I had occupational therapy. Um, like there were usually no questions I asked because I, I, like my parents did really fight hard um, so that I could be treated like any other student. Um, but like, I, I, I like, it, it was a little bit discerning to me to find out like three years after college, how much my parents actually did behind my back. But then again, you know, I wasn't exactly, I was too busy hating myself and not articulating, you know, that in a, healthy way um to really say can you tell me about it like i mean when they told me about it i was they wanted to know why i was frustrated i was like well you you're you you're telling me about this now you know i have an undergraduate degree and you're just telling me this now and it's just like and i said why could why couldn't you tell me then and you know like, I love my parents to death, but like, they, they said, well, you would have responded differently and we didn't want you to respond a certain way. And I'm just thinking, <laughs> well, how do you think I'm responding now? <laughs> when, you know, I mean, like. But also, again, like your therapist said, maybe it's fine. You can respond the way you need yeah, to respond. Exactly. And, and if you're yeah. not going to break anything or hurt people. Yeah. I mean, give me the benefit of the doubt. I mean. Like, a, like what I, I think what I mostly experience is benevolent ableism, you know, the fact that I've been, I have a one bedroom apartment that I can rent consistently for, for three years on my own is somewhat of an accomplishment, but I'm like, no, an Academy Award is an accomplishment. This is an everyday activity. You know, the fact that I've had a job for as long as I've had this apartment, you know, that I enjoy working at, um, like is, is this huge thing to people I'm like but like a promotion is what you congratulate people for like when I if I were to get a promotion yeah. like congratulate me for that like th these are all normal things you know just because I have just because I'm neurodivergent doesn't mean I can't do normal things got an apartment Tim exactly <laughs> like I mean the fact that I, I mean I've been cooking for myself since college what? No. And, and, all of a, and all of a sudden i because of the pandemic and yes i've been cooking at home more because i am not going out with infection rates being as high as they are but like and again it's great that people like my cooking for example but like it's it's like i'm I'm, I, I get the occasional, I'm so proud of you. This is so awesome. And all these little things. And I'm just thinking to myself, I don't want to kill the momentum because obviously I'm going to bring a lot of the food I've been making 
for the past year to things once it's absolutely safe to. But like, I've been cooking for myself to some various degree since college. So like, it's not an accomplishment you're making. I mean, yes, thank you. But like, it's not the accomplishment you think yeah but that's your call that's your call if you want to tell everyone like oh my god i've always had a hang up about cooking and i finally did it and i'm proud of myself and everybody everybody pat me on the head like it's your call to decide if it's an accomplishment if you're like yeah and i think that's why you why are you complimenting me so much for this baseline thing yeah i mean it it, like agency is not only a feminist issue but a disability rights issue because like like you could say it's an intersectional issue. Like basically don't, don't do anything without permission of someone, <laughs> you know, who doesn't want you to do that particular thing. Um, like, you know, I, I've literally had to teach my family and a few of my friends how to teach, how to treat me like a human being. <laughs> and, you know, I believe in reparations and repartitions. And I've talked to my, my friends who are, heavily in favor of that work about, okay, well, what do I do as a, as, as someone who is literally a disability activist when it comes to my life, you know, and they're like, well, you know, okay, yes, you're aware of reparations and repartitions. I think what you're looking for is just consulting work. You want people to consult you. You want to charge them for it. Like, you know, to make up for centuries of people like us being in mental asylums when we're able, when we are able to function, you know, I mean, we literally are like one century from the mental asylum, if we think about it, historically speaking, you know, and I don't even want to think about what life was like for us, even before the mental asylum, you know, I mean, the only thing I can think about to figure was that maybe in the Greek, like the, 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 the Greeks, the 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 um, I forget what they're called, but the oracles might mm. be were might have been neurodivergent. I've maybe. heard a lot of different um, theories on various types of uh, roles people have occupied in the past, and the possibility that yeah, the yeah that even like shamans may have had uh, mm-hmm. schizophrenic episodes or something that they or things like that and 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 hallucinations that would normally be debilitating in our society these people were like oh that's that's how your brain works we will find a place for that and i think to me that's the that's what the goal of you know the neurodiversity paradigm is 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 to sort of obliterate the notion of norms we're Mm -hmm. we all have such unique brains and yes some of us can be classified oh you you fall in this range and this range and this range but we're all going to have our own special things but the key isn't to like take your brain from working in this side of the spectrum and force it over to here Mm -hmm. the point is to find a niche and that we should have a niche for every type of brain that's out there and unleash it yeah i mean it like because a, a compliment I would receive a lot from people and I, the only compliment I accepted that was, that could be considered benevolently ableist was that you don't come off as someone who has Asperger's, you know, and, and me, I'm like, and of course, you know, certain block of my life where I was passing, I lived to hear that statement. I'm like, oh, great. I'm hiding it. Well, you know, <laughs> but now, now I'm just like, well, I do. I mean, when I go on first dates with people, I say, by the way, I'm bi and, I, and I'm on the spectrum. Do you still want to eat and drink and get to know each other? <laughs> you know? Um, and then we'll see where things go from there, you know? Um, I mean, I'm very, to answer your previous question, I'm very upfront about, about that, you know, because I accept that and I would hope someone who may or may not want to romance with me can accept that too, you know? Um, I mean, I already had a bad dating experience where I got biphobic questions from a gay man who bought me lunch because I was broke and couldn't afford it. And I never paid him back. But like, you know, I'm just thinking, oh, this is just great. Check, yeah. please. You know, I mean, yeah, it, 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 it's, I mean, I, I guess like, and again, my, you know, even in a pandemic where, everything is heightened awareness. Like, 
I I don't feel like I my I'm having trouble with a, a regimen. You know, I I'm constantly adapting. Maybe it's because of the need to overcompensate to prove people wrong, but you know, people with ability statuses can adapt more than people give themselves credit for. <laughs> They're just not seeing it because like, oh, well, this person always needs help. And I'm just like, hold it right there. <laughs> I need to t ask you and tell you that I need help. And you'd be amazed how many people are so offended by that statement, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> what, what do you think um, would be some fundamental ways we could improve uh, improve different systems in our society so that neurodiversity just becomes it, it, it's more understood and how to deal with people and ableism i'm just you know where do you see is the 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 fault lines in in how we're bringing people up mm -hmm. that are missing like as far as like just educating people coming up like you don't learn about this stuff until oh something's wrong with tim he, he's mm -hmm. acting different from the other kids we have to figure it out mm -hmm. versus just everyone's brought up to understand all of these things the same way you're brought up with like a survey of knowledge about all sorts of things you may never have to deal with whether it's biology mm -hmm. or chemistry or anything mm -hmm. yeah um i mean for start like let's look at education for starters one i think Every student, regardless of their ability status, needs an individual education plan. And teachers who, teachers should have um, the ability and the choice to pick students that are, that are alike in their classrooms that fit together to learn together. Um, there has been- Students that fit together or that the, the teacher fits with? The, the teacher looks at the IEPs and literally says, this student might learn better with this student than that student. It still allows for yeah. diversity of experience, but it also, I mean, it gives the teachers more ownership over their classrooms. Well, it takes away that, that just uh, completely chaotic aspect of, of things like, oh, okay, you're, you're just sitting next to that kid because your name's mm -hmm. all together in the alphabet or something. Yeah. And that can have a profound effect on you. Yeah, I mean, needless to say, I mean, I did, I, I've been able to survive from the previous model. I don't think that the, I mean, the, the suggestions I have, at least for education, are just based on my own experiences. And I mean, I loved most of my teachers, you know, growing up. I loved, I love people who make me think and who challenge my perception. You know, I still do, um, regardless of they have, if they have a title or not, but like, I think we need to make education a little bit more equitable by making IEPs a general thing for every student. Um, teachers having more control over the classroom size by, by matching, using IEPs to match students together. Um, I definitely, I mean, there's the whole subliminal, so sub-minimum wage thing that bothers me because it's like, no, you pay you pay enough for people to live regardless of who and what they are dealing with, you know? Um, like, yeah, I mean, it, it, like, I think we've just been taught by our society that d disability is always a hindrance, but I believe that disability can be a help, you know? because people think I can't read body language, I read body language better and I notice things better. I can read a room, you know, I can um, channel my passions into something productive towards society, be it artistry or activism. Um, you know, I can, uh, you know, I, I can, you know, design my, my, my living space. I can, you know, do all these things. And, you know, those aren't, major huge accomplishments those are just everyday life you know we're allowed everyday life no matter what systems are in place that tell us that we are and i mean i just think that you know our economic system of capitalism doesn't really value every single life because if disability means this person is unable to be productive to society and therefore they deserve 
a subminimum wage, you know, um, like that to me is like, well, I'm sorry, but maybe we need a better economic system, <laughs> you know, because anyone can work if they put their mind to it and they're, and they're able to do it. And I think how we work has, has definitely um, had a little moment of introspection considering this pandemic. So like, you know, you um, knew most jobs could be worked remotely from home, you know? <laughs> so, um, but yeah, like I would say those, those things are probably the things I could in, encourage a change of systemically. Um, well, Tim, is there anything you want to uh, plug or tell people they should check into that you're particularly passionate about before we roll out today? Um, yeah, uh, well, I, I'm involved with Cleveland DSA and every two weeks we're doing anti-eviction canvassing. We meet at the Northeast Ohio um, Advocates for the Homeless on Perkins Avenue every other Saturday. Um, we've been able to help a lot of tenants keep their homes during a pandemic and uh, we're still working on that. So if, if, I, lo if I love our Cleveland DSA. I'm always, I, I lurk in the Slack channels a lot and I keep an eye, I pay my dues so I can keep an eye on the DSA and see everything they're yeah, up to. And yeah. So, I mean, I would like to say like, even if you, even if you don't know much about democratic socialism, you, sh you should check out the event. It's COVID safe. We're actually doing like, drive-by um, canvas material pickup and dis and returns. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's nice to, um, it, it's nice to do something, not, to, not just because of a pandemic, but also just because, you know, people should, should, uh, should keep their homes regardless, you know? <laughs> so uh, that's something I do want to push um, right now. Well, Tim, I want to thank you for your time today and uh, all, all of the work that you do. And thank you for being you as you are and keep you. keep up the great work at that. Thanks. Yeah, um, this is fun. I would love to come back and talk other things in the future based on what what you're interested, what we're both interested in talking about. <laughs> So. Yeah, I'd love to have you on as a guest. I'm trying to have uh, do maybe some more like live streams or just uh, inching into the the take industrial complex. And it seems like that's what everybody wants. Everybody subscribes to every channel where some asshole just gets on and be like, you know, when I think about all the things, I'm going to tell you what I think about all the things. And I'm just like, even when I agree with the people who do that, I'm 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 just sick of it. I'm like, as as a, especially I think. Uh, the one person gets under my nerves all the time is Tim pool. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just, uh, all the people like, who are like, I'm just going to get on one and talk about shit, you know, constantly and not do any work. Yeah. I mean, me, I was like, people have been recommending to me that I should look into podcast work to keep me going. And I'm like, Oh great. I'll just be another white guy with a podcast. Like, that's, that's is there great. podcast work? I need to know about this. Is there I mean, a way I don't, I, I, I don't know. I'm just thinking, why does everyone suggest to every single white guy that they need to have a podcast? Why don't people suggest to black women, you know, <laughs> or, you know, indigenous women? Like, yes. like I would much rather give my podcast space to them than center center me you know <laughs> so yeah i i wanted to start a podcast for a long time kind of just out of interested in it as a medium and learning it and um it took me forever to like i was the same thing i'm like i don't want to just go on once a week and and have a show where i'm just like this is what i think about shit mm -hmm. and when i realized uh hit me like a lightning bolt i'm like oh i know all these great musicians i should just have yeah. a show that just showcases yeah. them and i mean i, I literally have caught up to all your blogs that i've missed listening to this past year because i was in other blogs that i was catching up on so oh like, that's fine They're, they'll be there forever as long as anchor doesn't go under i'll i'll, I'll, I'll keep the archives up yeah. i don't plan on ever gating anything for money i don't believe in that yeah yeah well this was fun and like i said i would love to do this again um yeah it's, it's always good to talk about these things, um, I mean, I just hope at the end of this pandemic, we're in a slightly better world than when we entered it into, <laughs> but we'll see. <laughs> All I can do is just do my best with what I can do right now, so.
Well, thanks, Tim. You're doing great. Thanks. Yeah. And uh, let me know when this is posted. I'll share it. I don't know if I'll hear myself, but I'll, 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 I'll share. Yeah. Oh, it should be, it shouldn't, shouldn't be, take me too long. I, I, I've been getting better at the interviews so that I don't have to go back and edit them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was about to say, if you do want, if you do want to edit out my ums, please feel free to. I, I will absolutely not edit out your ums. This is, <laughs> no one's paying me to do that much work. <laughs> okay. I'm, I, w- I was kind of, I was half joking. Uh, that's where I'm self-conscious. Like someone once told me I, I have a good voice for radio and I asked them, does that mean I have a good well, what about my face? Because I've only heard the joke. Oh, this person has a good face for radio. Yeah. I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> oh, yeah. But I have to say, well, like, yeah. But this, this is great. This is keeping me occupied. So, <laughs> thanks so much, and uh, I look forward to our next discussion. <laughs> All right, Tim. I'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.